0: Welcome to episode 31 of the Gen X Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Piper, and I thank you for joining with me today. You know, we, uh, as uh, analog photographers, we shoot a lot of old cameras or new cameras, or we should say relatively new cameras, because there have been not very many film cameras that uh, were made in recent years. Um... There are a few, of course, but we know most of us who do analog photography shoot uh, film cameras or emulsion cameras or whatever cameras we might shoot, instant cameras even, um, from times gone by. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, uh, about why perhaps we shoot or maybe why I shoot uh, old film cameras instead of buying new fancy digital cameras which, you know, they're all picture-taking machines. Why do I choose the old, old cameras? And maybe one of the reasons why I wanted to, to talk about this is because I received a camera uh, by a friend of mine that was a wonderful gift, and I really am enjoying it right now. And it's the Kodak Brownie, a Kodak Brownie Jr., I should say, uh, 616, the Kodak Brownie Junior 616. It's a it's a box camera, of course, a very very simple uh, camera, and I've shot a couple of rolls through it, and I'll let you know a little bit about my my thoughts on it so far, but uh, a little bit later on. But the the Brownie Junior was in a long line of of Kodak Brownies, uh, around a hundred um, uh, box cameras that Kodak built. Brownie Junior, not Brownie Juniors, but just Brownies. That Kodak built from 1900 all the way up until 1980, uh, they were a very successful line of cameras and very very simple cameras. Um, most of them were just quite simply a box, a box with uh, one hole for the to to actually expose the film, one hole in the rear so that you could see, you know, the red red filter so you could see the number the exposure number that you're on. And then two holes, two apertures for uh, the viewing lens, uh, one on the top and one on the side for either portrait mode or, or uh, landscape mode. Um, very, very simple cameras. And the Brownie Jr. Um, was made in, uh, started starting in 1934 and ended in 1942. So it's an old camera, you know, going up on uh, 80 years, 80 to 90 years old. I don't know when mine... My particular model or example was made, but it was you know within that decade or so. Um, now, the Brownie Jr., that's the only one that I'm going to be able to talk about because I've never really shot any other Kodak Brownies, but I'm assuming they're all relatively similar. I know they all take different films and such, and there's some differences between them, but by and large, they're simple box cameras with some later additions or later amend- amendments to them as time went along. But the 616 Brownie Jr. was a a rather large, uh, not really large box camera, but took large images or takes large images. Uh, This this camera uh, (laughs) doesn't even take medium format uh, film. It takes 616 film, which isn't even made anymore. Um, So what I have to do is use 120 film and get these little adapters that uh, go on the the film cartridge the new film cartridge i put an adapter on either side that way it will allow it to uh, fit within the the camera at the proper with the proper tension the proper height tension and and width tension and then i have the old uh, metal reel that it, that originally came with the camera and that of course fits in in the, uh, in the camera just so. But this uh, camera, uh, it, again, a simple camera, but it takes huge, huge photos. You know, I'm, I'm used to shooting 35 millimeter. Uh, that's what I've been shooting the last two and a half years. And this camera takes, uh, you know, medium format, which is actually too small for it, but that's what's available. It's a hair too small. But it takes medium format film, and the the size of image that it makes is a two and a half by four and a quarter inch uh, image, a negative or a positive. If I'm if I'm shooting positive film, two and a half by four and a quarter. That's that's half a four by five. It's (laughs) or you know just about just about there it's well i I would say just about half a four by five so this is a a a huge negative and i'm i was you know shocked when i understood just how large that negative would be now i shot or i bought after i got the the box camera i decided to get some rolls of uh, 120 and i've you know never shot medium format myself um the only kind of film that I shot that was kind of similar to 120, being paperback, was old 828 film, and that, like 120, is paperbacked, but it's also the same dimension as uh, 35 millimeter without the sprocket holes. So it's a little bit bigger than 35 millimeter, but the dimension of the film itself is the same as 35 millimeter. But uh, this 120 film was just it it was mind-blowing to me how (laughs) how big this film is how big the negative is so uh, I ended up buying some Ektar 100 um, as well as some uh, black and white and color uh, just simple color film and uh, by the way this uh, this camera uh, let me describe a little bit about this camera before I go into what I did to you know when I when I shot the film Uh, so again this camera has those uh, four four holes one to take the image, two viewing lenses, and then a, a red uh, aperture on the back to to show what uh, exposure you're on. But it also has um, a winding mechanism, a very simple winding mechanism um, that when you use the proper uh, uh, reels, it works beautifully, works like a, a, a charm. Um, shutter speeds on this uh camera there's only two two shutter speeds one is between 135th and 150th or thereabouts and one is timed exposure so it could be as you know as long as you want beyond a a 50th of a second um in case you're shooting slower speed film or something along those lines um now i ended up shooting this uh, uh ektar 100 with this um you know, this, this uh, camera that has a 1 30th to 1 50th of a second. So I wasn't sure how it would turn out, but I'll tell you how it turned out in just a minute as soon as I <laughs> finished talking about this camera. So in addition to bulb mode or, you know, 1 30th or 50th of a second, those two shutter speeds there, so to speak, it also has an aperture adjustment on the top of the camera. <clears throat> Excuse me. You pull up this little lever, and it changes it from like 1 uh, 1 8 to 1 11th uh, i'm sorry f8 to f11 <clears throat> excuse me got a little frog in my throat so it changes that lever changes the the aperture from say about f8 to f11 or f5 6 to f8 i'm I don't i'm not really sure uh what the aperture the actual aperture is in relation to the camera but thereabouts it's it, they're both pretty small, so it's meant for daylight. Um, or if you're again, if you're shooting at night or at lower light, you can use the uh, that little lever on the side that will give you bulb mode and just kind of tabulate how long your exposure would be. But anyways, I decided to shoot a roll of Ektar in it, and uh, I was unsure how how to do it. I knew that I needed to look through the the red red window in the back to to see the uh, what image, but I didn't know how to read 120 film because I know there's various numbers like there's one, two, three exposure, one, two, three, four, five, all the way to what 16, but that's for I believe square format. There's also other ones and twos and threes for the various size of formats or the various formats that you want to use depending on the camera that you use, the medium format camera. Well, <laughs> I was shooting a roll of film that wasn't even meant for this camera so obviously the numbers wouldn't line up so what I decided to do is I just decided to go go out and shoot and just shoot the number of images uh, like every other image because I figured that simple one two three that that the one two and three that I saw through the window was probably uh, corresponding to square format so I decided to shoot it every other exposure and then i came home or i I went through a roll of film i just wanted to try it out so i shot a bunch in the garden and i came in developed it and uh first of all i was just (laughs) surprised at how how big the images were again but also uh, i did learn through that first roll. it was a good sacrificial roll because i learned two things well, three things first, it handled the light just fine it was a it was perfectly fine um amount of light coming through that the aperture of that camera for that speed of film so one hundred speed film on a bright day will be fine at least for this camera. Um, the second thing I learned was that I needed to uh instead of uh going every other number advancing it to every other number i needed to actually advance it every third number because this camera is large enough that it takes at least two of the regular images of in 120. Um, so it, again it's a, a, a re- really large uh, negative so i needed to go three images and i'll end up with five pictures on on the reel of film which is fine it's it, it's totally fine. If I end up with five large, good, well-composed images that will be able to be sized up nicely and, you know, get a good image out of it, then that's, that's totally fine by me. The third thing that I uh, figured out is that this is not a macro camera at all. (laughs) The closest distance that you can be and still be in, in clarity is about eight feet. So it's good for landscapes or you know, something further, maybe 10 feet or more away, and then it will be in focus. And I'm not an expert with this. I'm still learning. I shot my second roll and it turned out better, but, uh, there's something that I learned upon, uh, developing it. uh, Well, actually before developing it, there's something that I learned because of developing it. Um, this, uh, this brownie, because it takes larger film than 120, and because I was using as the take-up reel uh, the original metal metal spool that came with the camera, well, that meant that there was a margin on either side of the film where it, uh, you know, it didn't line up uh, tightly against against the you know the the foot and head of the reel or of the sp- of the spool. I didn't think about this, but the, me winding it up and then sitting it out and waiting to to, to, uh, to develop it on the shelf uh, allowed light to come in between the reel and the top of the film and between the reel or the spool, the top of the spool and the bottom of the spool and the top of the film and the bottom of the film. There was like a eighth of an inch of a gap or so, or maybe a little bit more, where the light could could come in and so (laughs) I've got a lot of light leaks on on the second roll so word to the wise if you're going to use a brownie junior 616 and you have to use you know those um, the original reels which really help it advance a lot more easily I do suggest you do that in order to not have light leaks then what you need to do is unload it in the dark re- reel it up then open the, the camera unload it in the dark and put it into a film canister and close it up and then it will be fine so that's what I'll do the next time finish the roll grab a 120 film can- canister go into my dark dark room and then unload it put it in the canister and then, then it will be safe and then I can develop it at ease but anyways this is a, a beautiful camera and i'll once i uh scan some images i will get those uh up on the on my uh, uh instagram uh, the, the podcast page so you can see a little bit of that uh, but otherwise it's a beautiful beautiful old camera and it taught me that you know i love lenses i really do love lenses i love my rocor lenses i love my uh, uh pentax takumar lenses I even, especially now, I'm loving my Vivitar lenses, the ones that I, uh, the 135 and 200 millimeter um, F2.8 and uh, uh, F3.5 lenses that I have for my, both Minolta system and my Pentax system. I love those lenses. They're all such good lenses, but this box camera has taught me that just a simple hole. I believe this has a meniscus lens, just a simple meniscus lens or even a, even just a simple hole will do amazing work. So photography is photography. It, there's varying types of it, but as long as it produces a good, different, interesting image, then that's what's important, isn't it? But, you know, this did make me think uh, this morning, you know, I'm shooting this old, old camera from the 30s ostensibly from the 30s, maybe from the early 40s, but, you know, from a while ago. And then I have a Konica 3A, which I've talked about. That's from the late 50s. All my SRTs, uh, my Spotmatics, um, all those cameras are from the late 60s to early 70s. And the, really, the latest two cameras that I that I shoot, um, my or my most recently made cameras, are my olympus xa uh you know little rangefinder camera and my nikon l35 aw or the nikon action touch the underwater camera or waterproof camera those are my most recently made cameras and they were made you know late 70s early 80s so what is it about old cameras and uh old film like i've shot really expired film from 1950 that's 71 years old what is it about these old vintage this old vintage equipment and materials that really uh makes us happy what why do we shoot these old things why not shoot new digital cameras you know some of us do still shoot digital cameras and there's nothing wrong with that some of us came from digital cam- d- digital photography, like myself. And there's nothing wrong with that these they're amazing machines. but why do we gravitate toward these old machines, these old cameras with this old film uh or even if we buy new film? it's an old process. Why do we do this? I can't answer it for you, but I know for me it just kind of links me to a little bit of the past um It's just kind of interesting to to shoot these these cameras and think about the history. Like for instance, my Pentax, uh, Spotmatic SP2. Um, I got from a man, well, the SP2 and, and SPF, I got both of them from a man in Southern Vermont. And he said he took it with him to Vietnam and who knows what kind of images he got with it or what he was able to shoot. And who knows if he, v- he even was the original owner. So, it just makes me think there's a connection between me now shooting this camera or using this camera and somebody else who once owned it. And it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about for me. Uh, Also, darn it. There's the, uh, there's just the look of, of film, you know, it doesn't matter if it's new, you know, Kodak Portra, which a lot of people love Portra 400, or if it's a, kodak gold or as mike gutterman says kodak goad <laughs> uh or you know expired film or you know any of the number of films that we we shoot the old black and white films it's like they carry a character uh that just digital sensors just don't really give um again i i think often about this. I think about my Fujifilm X100, my most recent camera, and one, the one with the largest sensor that I'm aware of, uh, not in all cameras, but the one with the largest sensor that I've ever had. You know, I love that camera, but it just really doesn't have that much character. It looks like an old camera, but it's not an old camera. It has a large size image, but it produces a flat image. It doesn't give anything to to the image, whereas if I shoot this, you know, whatever film I'm shooting, it all has character. Um, whether it be really nicely exposed Ektachrome or really old and expired Kodacolor VRG 400, you know, they all have character that it, it, that is just missing with digital. Um, so it's you know the history of these old old cameras. The potential, you know, prior use of these cameras, the the chunkiness of these cameras, the tactility of these cameras, the character that this film gives, whether it's new or old. It's just there's something about it that for me myself is just so much better than digital. As good as digital is, it's there's nothing like quite like uh, analog for me. And I know, um, here soon, my wife is going to join me. It was part of it was her idea. A big part of it was her idea, um, about creating, uh, oh, what do you call it? Pinhole cameras. I'd never been not, not, not interested, but I just never really thought too much about pinhole cameras. But then she decided she wanted to do pinhole ca- photography. And then she bought a book and now we're going to, you know, start making a, a couple of pinhole cameras and try shooting some film and also some positive paper images and then develop it in a dark room, that's going to be exciting, you know? So it's it's kind of the, the also some total process of, at least for me, this process of making something real um, using these vintage cameras. There's just something, dare I say magical about it, but just something... I don't know. That might be the, the, the appropriate word for uh, this analog photography that I've fallen so much in love with. So I know I'm ranting. I'm sorry about that. But anyways, back to this box camera. You know, if you see a box camera, there's a wonderful website. You know, if you see a box camera, box camera and want to pick it up or want to learn a little bit about it, there's a wonderful website called brownie-camera.com. So it's brownie-camera.com, and that that website is exhaustive. It shows every single brownie camera, I believe, that's ever existed. Also, other cameras that weren't brownies, Hawkeye cameras, uh, brownie movie cameras, and projectors. It goes into f-stops and shutter speeds, uh, different kinds of roll films that were used, and just various other things relating to uh analog photography and particularly the brownie cameras um again they're really interesting interesting cameras very simple simple cameras but produce they produce wonderful results i i have to say i'm just surprised so anyways thank you all for listening so much and my next uh, uh episode will be with an interview um so look forward to that but Up until then, or until that time, thank you all for listening. And as always, keep those analog vibes alive.